The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. We tend to believe that when we reveal our regrets, people will think less of us. And there's some pretty good evidence that in, may, in many cases, not all, but in many cases, people think more of us. So I do think we're a little over-indexed on concealment and we're a little over-indexed on the fear that those revelations are going to make people look down on us rather than what they often do is help people build affinity with us. It's Thursday. I'm Michael Kovnat, and here on the Next Big Idea Daily, we're taking stock. We're looking back at our lives, at the choices we've made, and identifying those we regret. Our screw-ups, our failures, that time we took an ethical shortcut, that other time we chickened out on a big opportunity. Why are we doing this to ourselves? No, we're not masochists, we're self-improvers. And it turns out that examining regret is a really smart way to get better in all areas of life. That's what author Daniel Pink has been trying to get through our thick skulls all week. And it's the theme of his latest book, The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward. In the book, Dan presents a well-researched method for turning those past mistakes into extremely useful guidelines for your present and future. Here's Dan to explain how it works. So, what can we do to turn our existing regrets into engines of progress? Science suggests a three-step process. First, Look inward through self-compassion. Self-compassion, pioneered by Kristen Neff of the University of Texas, begins by replacing searing judgment with basic kindness. It doesn't ignore our screw-ups or neglect our weaknesses. It simply recognizes that being imperfect, making mistakes, and encountering life difficulties is part of the shared human experience. By normalizing negative experiences, we neutralize them. Self-compassion encourages us to treat ourselves with kindness rather than contempt so we can move on. Second, express outward through self-disclosure. We're often skittish about revealing to others negative information about ourselves, but an enormous body of literature makes clear that disclosing our thoughts, feelings, and actions by telling others or simply writing about them brings an array of physical, mental, and professional benefits. Disclosing regret lifts the burden, and by converting the blobby, amorphous negative emotion into concrete words, we make the threat less menacing and can begin making sense of what happened. Third, move forward through self-distancing. When we're beset by negative emotions, including regret, one response is to immerse ourselves in them. But immersion can catch us in the undertow of rumination. A better, more effective, and longer-lasting approach is to move in the opposite direction, not to plunge in, but to zoom out and gaze upon our situation as a detached observer. Self-distancing helps you analyze and strategize to examine the regret dispassionately and then extract a lesson from it that can guide your future behavior. To start with self-compassion, I do wonder sometimes why this is so hard, you know, why why we don't more naturally speak kindly to ourselves because it does seem to be a common phenomenon that we often are chastising ourselves, punishing ourselves for the bad decisions we made, for the things we regret. 
But I wonder if you have any tips you've come across for how to speak nicely to ourselves, for God's sake. I mean, I think that what you can do is basically do a combo platter of self-distancing and Mm self-compassion and say, if my best friend came to me with this problem, what would I say to her? And say that to yourself. Chances are, if your best friend came to you with a regret, you wouldn't say, you freaking idiot. What's (laughs) wrong with you? You're a moron. Right. Actually, one of my favorite techniques is I think about how I would address it if a child had done this, Mm. if my child had done. If my child screwed something up, I wouldn't hopefully lock that child in the room for a year or scream at them endlessly. I would discipline, maybe. I would take some actions to get them to change their behavior, but it would be in this context of, of course you screwed up, everyone screws up, it's fine, I still love you. And if I can kind of talk to myself that same way, I might find that combination of self-discipline and self-love that I think we all could benefit from. Yeah, and the thing is, there's a hard-headed reason for this because what what the research tells us is that is that lacerating self-criticism does very little to improve our performance, and that endless dollops of self-esteem, likewise, don't do very much. And disclosure uh, is is interesting too. And um, I mean, I th- I think. Actually, when I first read your book, I, I did experiment with keeping a, a regret journal and just trying to to write out a lot of the things I regret. And one thing I found helpful about it is, in addition to the things you've mentioned, it kind of puts a floor underneath it. It's easy to get in this mindset of like, oh, I've done so many bad things. I've made so many screwed up decisions. But if you really commit to like, well, let me write them all out, you know, or let me put this on paper, or let me share this with someone, you discover that the list is not in fact, infinite. It might be long. Maybe I have five or 10 or a hundred things that I screwed up, but I don't have an infinite number. And somehow that almost is itself kind of a reassuring. It gives me a place to start. Like I can address this. It's, I can get my hands around it. Yes. I mean, I think what it does is that it, when you go from abstract to concrete, what you've done is you, you have taken away some imaginary fangs. That is, negative emotions especially are blobby. They're amorphous. And that's why they're menacing. But when we actually address them, write them, describe them, name them, they become less menacing and therefore easier to contend with. This idea of sharing regrets with other people, is there any downside to that? Do you have to be careful because you can, you know, if you disclose too much, you might either overburden them or make yourself look bad. Do you need to protect yourself in any of these conversations, do you think? A little bit, but less than we suspect. We tend to believe that when we reveal our regrets, people will think less of us. And there's some pretty good evidence that in, may, in many cases, not all, but in many cases, people think more of us. So I do think we're a little over-indexed on concealment and we're a little over-indexed on the fear that those revelations are going to make people look down on us rather than what they often do is help people build affinity with us. You also talk about a failure resume or sort of anti-resume where you sort of write down all the things you screwed up in your career. Tell me a little bit about that idea and how it works. Well, this is an idea from Tina Selig at Stanford. I think it's a brilliant idea. I've done it myself. I, I have now a modified version of it that I recommend rather than the, the full bore version that I did on my own. And it's essentially this, it, it, is that you know we think about our resumes or our LinkedIn profiles or our CVs or whatever, and they're this glorious list of accomplishments. And as you mm-hmm. exactly say, Michael, this is almost the inverse of that. So what I do is think about it in columns. Like you put a column, list all of your failures, screw-ups, mistakes. In the next column, you actually look at each of those mistakes, screw-ups, blunders, and say, what lesson did I learn from this? Hmm. And then in the third column, you look at that lesson and say, how can I apply that lesson 
going forward. Now, what I realized in this gazing through that second column, that long second column, was that, first of all, when I tried to extract a mis- or distill a, mis- a lesson from some mistake, screw up, blunder, in some cases, there wasn't one. Hmm. Shit happens. Bad luck. Bad luck. Randomness. Whatever. That's luck. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and when you actually scrutinize that, it's a relief of sorts. This is why thinking about stuff, taking it from the abstract to the concrete on a number of different dimensions is really powerful. The other thing, though, that I noticed is that when I started looking at the lessons, I was making the same, in, in many cases, I was making mm-hmm. the same two mistakes over and over and over again. They were in mm-hmm. slightly different domains. They were expressed in different ways. But at their core, the mistakes <laughs> were always the same. And, and, that, and that exercise really helped me avoid those in the future. Interesting. Can you share what the type of, the category of mistake was that you were making? So one lesson that I, that I, that I learned was to be less certain about what I knew particularly Hmm. in going into new situations, particularly new professional situations. Mm -hmm. There were were several situations in my life where I would take on a project or even take a job years ago. And it said, I know how this works. I know what this is going to be like. And I didn't. Mm -hmm. And it was an unpleasant surprise. And when you actually do a little due diligence ahead of time and say, okay, what is this really like? Like, you don't know what it's really like. You've never done this. You know, find out what it's really like before you go into it rather than assume that you know what it's like. And then the mm-hmm. second one was that a lot of my screw-ups come from being involved in projects that I'm actually not that into. Mm. You know, okay. um, and, and that if I'm not fully committed, things go south. And, right. and, it's, and, and, and that happened a lot. And so, so now what I try to do is I try to do more due diligence ahead of time before taking on something and then also uh, really scrutinize whether I should, should do something, actually sort of up the, 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 the standard for saying yes to things. So that's valuable feedback that can then be used for you in your future as you make new decisions, take on new projects. Uh, but it already has. That's the, truly, yeah. that's, that has been an incredible benefit. And even more is that I have you know, offered that advice to other people, that hard-won mm-hmm. advice to other people, including especially that first one uh, to, to my own kids, mm-hmm. because it's a mistake that I made when I was much younger, saying, mm-hmm. oh, I know what it's going to be like to do this or to do that mm-hmm. or to do that. And I had no freaking idea. So there you have it. Daniel Pink's science-based method for turning your screw-ups into action plans. If you'd like to try Dan's method for yourself, get a copy of The Power of Regret at your favorite bookstore. And also, sign up for the Next Big Idea Daily free newsletter using the link in the episode notes. That will get you a steady supply of useful ideas right in your inbox and access to our LinkedIn community where you can share your regrets and your triumphs with me and your fellow listeners. Come back tomorrow when Dan will show us another one of his time travel tips, imagining future regrets and using them to make better decisions today. See you then.